So we're starting a new series this morning, uh, a series back in the book of Matthew that we're calling Heavyweight Faith, just kind of an odd uh, title for a series. We don't do the sports metaphor very often. I'm, I'm not a very sporty kind of guy, except for my Dallas Cowboys. That's about it for me. I'm not really, I'm not all that sporty. I'm certainly not like a heavyweight boxing kind of Guy, I'm a pacifist, actually. What am I? Mostly out of fear. But I don't know. We're doing this series called Heavyweight Faith because as we go back to the book of Matthew, Matthew, we're turning down to Matthew chapter 11. Matthew begins to take a turn at this moment in the book. And so far in the book of Matthew, we've, we've been looking at who Jesus is, right? Matthew chapter 1 to 4. We're looking at what Jesus taught in Matthew 5, 6, and 7. We're looking at what Jesus did, the way he brought God's healing love into the world in Matthew 8 and 9, and then sent out his disciples to do the same thing in chapter 10. But now we turn to Matthew chapter 11, and the whole tone of the book begins to shift. Because starting at this moment in the book, we're no longer talking about who Jesus is and what Jesus is all about. We begin now to look at how people responded to Jesus, to who he was and the things that he taught and the things that he did. We start to look at the kinds of responses that Jesus is looking for from people as they respond to who he is and what he taught and what he did. And what Jesus is looking for is kind of a heavyweight faith. That's sort of the theme is what does it mean to have a faith that's big league, that's big time, that's a big deal, that's robust, a robust faith. What does that kind of faith response to Jesus look like? What is, what is it that Jesus wants from us in relation to who he is. And so we turn back in Matthew chapter 11. We, we pick it up the story in Matthew chapter 11, starting in verse 1. It starts like this After Jesus had finished instructing his 12 disciples, that's the whole mission critical series that we did back in January, he went on from there to teach and preach in the towns of Galilee. And when John, that's John the Baptist, who was in prison, heard about the deeds of the Messiah, he sent his disciples to ask him this question. Are you the one who is to come, the Messiah? Are you the Messiah? Or should we expect someone else? John reemerges in Matthew's story at this point. John is a, a heroic figure in the Gospels. John was conceived by an elderly couple who was already well past childbearing years, his whole life in that sense is a miracle. His conception was announced to his father actually by an angel, the story goes in the gospel according to Luke. And the angel told his father Zechariah that John would be the catalyst that opens the door to God's healing love flooding the world through the Messiah. John and his preaching was gonna open the door for the coming of the Messiah. In the book of Matthew, John bursts onto the scene in Matthew chapter 3 as this fiery prophetic preacher announcing that people need to repent of their sin because God is coming in the Messiah and he is going to pour judgment out on sin and evil in the world and people flood to hear John's message and they're baptized in droves. John's ministry is this incredible success. In fact, Jesus 
himself is baptized by John in the Jordan River. John thinks it should be the other way around, but Jesus insists, and John baptized Jesus. John is such a heroic figure in the Gospels that there are some scholars who debate whether or not Jesus was a disciple of John before he began his own life work. John's a big, big deal in the Gospels. The last time we see John in Matthew chapter, is in Matthew chapter 4. It's seven chapters at this point. It's kind of this little parenthetical note that says when Jesus heard that John had been arrested, he went off and began his ministry, his work. John had been arrested by a local king, a local ruler named um, Herod Antipas. Herod Antipas had, uh, had put John in a fortress. It used to be a palace and was used now as a prison just south of Jerusalem. Because John had publicly and repeatedly denounced some of Herod's behaviors and choices. And so Herod had him arrested and locked away. And by the time we get to Matthew chapter 11, John has been languishing in prison, in this cold, dark prison cell probably for more than a year. And every once in a while, he gets these reports about his cousin Jesus, about what Jesus is doing, about what Jesus is teaching. And eventually, he calls a group of his disciples together and he sends them off to Jesus to go ask Jesus this one question. Are you the Messiah? Really? Or should we be expecting someone else? I find this to be one of the most, if I'm honest, one of the most encouraging moments in the entire New Testament. Because, see, I grew up, I don't know how or why, but I grew up developing this kind of understanding of faith. That faith was about being certain about what you believe. That's what faith was. If you had a strong faith, it was because you were massively certain about what you believe. And if you had a weak faith, it was because you didn't know or you weren't certain or you were unsure or you had questions or even doubts about what you believed. That was a weak faith. A strong faith was a person who was absolutely sure about what they believed. And so I, was, I grew up with this kind of fear of questions, this fear of uncertainty, this fear of saying, I don't know because I I didn't want my faith to be weak. I wanted my faith to be strong. And yet I get to this story, and here is no less than John the Baptist struggling with his faith. Now, Jesus doesn't condemn John. You need to know that. In the passage we're going to look at next week, um, Jesus actually calls John, in Jesus' opinion, John, there is no one in the human race more important than John prior to the coming of Jesus. He's no human being, no greater human being has ever been born of a woman than John. Jesus has nothing but incredibly positive things to say about John. And he hears John struggling, grappling his faith. John uncertain and even doubting that Jesus is who John believed Jesus to be. I mean, to be honest, when John baptized Jesus, 
another one of the gospels says that the heavens opened and John heard a voice saying, this is my son, this is the Messiah. John had that experience and yet by this point in his life, sitting in this prison cell for over a year, John gets to a place where he's doubting his own belief in Jesus. And the reason this becomes one of the most encouraging passages of scripture to me is because I feel like this is one of those moments where the Bible is saying it's okay to have questions. It's okay to not be absolutely sure and certain. It's actually even okay to doubt. To doubt anything and everything up to and including whether or not you believe that Jesus really is the Savior. Because that's where John was. And I, in the church, so often we try and shut down people's questions. We try and, try and give them pat answers to make the questions go away. Or we tell them, you're thinking too much. Just believe. No, 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 no. Don't be afraid of your questions. Don't be discouraged by questions. Don't feel condemned or judged because you have questions. If you're the kind of person who's struggling and doubting and questioning what you believe, that's not because you lack faith. It's actually because your faith is growing in that moment. So here's John sitting in a prison cell for more than a year doubting the identity of Jesus. Why is John all of a sudden doubting Jesus? He's doubting Jesus because John had certain expectations of who Jesus was, about what the Messiah was and the kind of ministry, the kind of thing that Jesus was gonna do as Messiah when he came. This is John's message, the message that he preached in Matthew chapter three. It says, I baptize you with water for repentance, but after me comes one, remember, the, are you the one who's coming? After me comes one who's more powerful than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry, and he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor, gathering the wheat into the barn, his people, those who love and are devoted to him, into the barn, and burning up the chaff, burning up his enemies with unquenchable fire. John has this vision, as do most of the Jews at this time, of what the Messiah is going to be all about. John says when the Messiah comes, he's going to baptize with the Holy Spirit. He's going to unleash the power of the healing love of God on the world. Because where, where, there's, where there's sorrow, there'll be joy. Where there's despair, he'll bring hope. Where there's guilt, he'll bring forgiveness. Where there's injustice, he'll bring freedom. Where there's oppression, he'll bring justice. Where there's you know, where there's brokenness, he'll bring healing. That he will bring peace into the chaos of the world. Because what John expected and what the Jews believed is that when the Messiah came, he'd be a mighty military ruler, a king who would marshal God's armies and defeat God's enemies and drive the Roman Empire clear out of Israel, out of Israel the land of Palestine. <coughs> Excuse me. And they would become the sole global superpower through whom God would usher in an era of universal peace. <laughs> America didn't invent that vision. They got it from Israel. He was going to baptize with the Holy Spirit, unleash the power of God's healing love. But he was also going to baptize with fire, by which John means he got, that Jesus was going to unleash the judgment of God on God's enemies, on those who were working in opposition to God's purposes in the world. They would be judged and defeated 
by the wrath of God executed by the Messiah. Now here's John sitting in a prison cell for more than a year wondering why Jesus hasn't shown up to judge those who put John in prison and to rescue him yet. Here's John. He had been God's man for more than 30 years, wanting to live faithfully, devoted to God. Here's John, who had had the largest, most successful ministry in Israel in over four centuries. One of the absolute heroes of the faith, a true prophet who was drawing thousands of people back to faith in God. And where was Jesus? The prophets said that when the Messiah came, he would set those who had been unjustly imprisoned free. John's question grows out of his disappointment, his disillusionment. He sends this question to Jesus to ask him, either you're not really the Messiah or you're not doing the job I thought you would do. Which is it? Because you've really kind of let me down. I can imagine that in all of our locations this morning, there are people who know exactly how John feels. They feel disappointed with Jesus. You're disillusioned by faith. You, you're even beginning to doubt that Jesus is who he says he is or that Jesus can do what he says he can do because Jesus, at the end of the day, has let you down. You thought you'd live a life you know, in devotion to Christ and somewhere along the way, uh, Jesus was gonna provide you with a spouse or at least allow your marriage to hold together. You thought you'd live faithfully and following Christ and, and somewhere along the way, he was gonna give you a child. Or he was going to allow you to get that job or to keep that job. He was going to, at some point, heal your cancer. Deal with your addiction. Help you defeat mental illness. You thought if you, if you lived faithfully towards Christ, God is a God who gives good gifts. And surely God would give you the gift of keeping your kids on the straight and narrow and then and then he didn't. The question now that rumbles around your head is, why? Why hasn't Jesus worked for me? And you feel disappointed and disillusioned and you're beginning to doubt your faith and beginning to wonder maybe even whether you should actually just pack it in and put your faith somewhere else. And honestly, I don't, doubt your faith, no more than I would doubt the faith of John the Baptist, whom Jesus called the greatest human being born of a woman up until the time of Jesus. I believe that you love God with all your heart and soul, mind and strength. You want to live faithfully with him and you, 
You just want to worship him and know him intimately and love him and serve him and, and obey him. And you just want to love and serve the people that God's put in your life. I know that. I don't say, this, I don't say it with a hint of condemnation. I've been there too. I mean, I've told you the story about Krista and I trying to get pregnant after our first miscarriage and month after month after month goes by and the frustration begins to mount higher and higher and higher until eventually almost a year into the journey, Krista and I are looking at each other and saying out loud, how much more do we have to do before God will give us a baby? It was sheer disappointment. That God had let us down. And you know what's true in that moment? Now it's easier to see in retrospect. In that moment when we're having this conversation, Krista and I aren't living in a covenant relationship with God. This sort of love relationship, this, this covenant with God for better, for worse, for richer or poorer, in sickness and in health, forsaking all others till death do you part kind of relationship. That wasn't the kind of relationship we were living with God. We were kind of living more of a contractual agreement. God, we'll do these things. We'll follow you in these ways. We'll be faithful in doing this. We'll try and serve you as best we can and quid, quo, quid pro quo in return. Uh, you owe us a baby. That's not the kind of faith that Jesus is inviting us into. That's not heavyweight faith. So the question is, what do you do in that space? When you're in that space of being disappointed by God, being let down, feeling disillusioned, and even beginning to doubt, to question and to doubt your faith in Christ, what kind of response is Jesus looking for. Well, look at what Jesus, how Jesus responds to John. He says this. He says, go back and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and good news is preached to the poor. Jesus says to John's disciples, I want you to go back to John, and I want you to report to him everything you have seen <coughs> excuse me, while you're with me, and everything that you've heard, I want you to report to John everything you've heard me teach, the stuff like the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5 and 6 and 7. I want you to report to John everything you've seen me do, the miraculous stuff of Matthew chapter 8 and 9. I want you to tell John what it is you've seen God do through me and through my life. It's interesting, the five examples that Jesus chooses of, of the blind, the lame, the leprous, the deaf, and the dead, those five examples all come out of Jesus' ministry in, in Matthew chapter 8 and 9, which we looked at last fall. They're all examples of things that Matthew reports Jesus has just accomplished. They're also, not coincidentally, all allusions to Old Testament passages, to the preaching of an Old Testament prophet by the name of Isaiah, who, who repeatedly said in Isaiah 26 and 29 and 35 and 61, who repeatedly said things like, this is the kind of stuff that you can expect will happen when the Messiah shows up on the scene 
And God's kingdom begins to come on earth as it is in heaven. This is exactly the kind of thing that's going to happen. And Jesus says to John's disciples, what I want you to do is go back to John and say, John, your focus has gotten too small. Your vision has gotten too narrow. I want you to lift your eyes and look beyond your own circumstances and see what God is doing through me at this moment in time. I want you to take a minute and remember that the kingdom of God is bigger than what God is doing in your specific life at this specific moment in time. I want you to take your eyes off your own navel for a minute and just see that the kingdom is coming all around you. I think it's exactly what Jesus would want to say to us in these moments. If you're getting to the place where you're disillusioned and you're doubting that Jesus even is who he says he is, take a moment and step back and lift your eyes above your circumstances and just see what God is doing all around you. In less than three weeks time, we're going to celebrate the 10 year anniversary of running a homeless shelter out of our Glenridge location. Think about the dozens and dozens and dozens of stories that have come into our church over the last 10 years. Stories of radical transformation and hope. And not just in the lives of the residents, but in the lives of every person who's gotten involved with the program. Just just see the way God has transformed people's lives through this ministry. In three weeks' time, On Easter Sunday morning, we're going to have a baptism service. And by the way, if you have in your life committed yourself to being a follower of Jesus Christ, if you've decided that that's how you want your life to go and you have never been baptized because of your faith, I want you to pull out your cell phone right now and baptize an email baptism at southridge.cc and say, we need to talk about Easter because I need to hear from you today. Let me know that you want in on this baptism at Easter because we want you to be a part of it because on that day, we want to hear story after story after story after story of resurrection taking place in people's lives, of the incredible things that Jesus has done in people's lives as they've turned from the people that they used to be and through the power of Christ and the Holy Spirit become completely different kinds of people because of their faith in him. Just take a step back and lift your eyes and see the stories of God rescuing marriages and holding families together and reconciling friendships and God healing heads and healing hearts and healing bodies. Just take a step back and see what God has done. Because it's happening all around Yet the interesting thing about Jesus' answer to John is not just in what he says, but it's in what he doesn't say. See, every one of the passages that he alludes to in Isaiah, Isaiah 26 and 29 and 35 and 61, every single one of those passages has within them a moment where Isaiah announces the judgment of God, where Isaiah says God is going to come in and he's going to right the wrongs and judge um, the evil that has settled into the world and he's going to root it out of the world and he's going to make things right and so on. But Jesus doesn't mention any of that in his answer to John. Purposely leaves all of that out of his answer 
As if to say to John, I know that this is what the prophet says. The time for that is not now. See, the kingdom, what Jesus would want us to know is that the kingdom of God is coming on earth as it is in heaven. God's healing love is being unleashed in people's lives and in our world, and it is radically transforming people in the most miraculous of ways. It has already come, but it is not yet fully here. The, the fullness of the coming of, king, of the kingdom has not arrived which means that we still live in a world where, where there's sorrow and despair and brokenness and pain and injustice and oppression and tears. And sometimes that's the stuff that falls in your life. And sometimes that's what falls in mine. And I think Jesus would want to say, I'm sorry for what you're living with right now. I'm sorry that you have to watch other people experience the already of the transformative healing love of God in their life. And you're left waiting for the not yet to come. You're left sitting in the brokenness and the tears and the sorrow and the pain. But hang on anyway. Cling to Christ anyway. Trust in him anyway. Trust in him despite the pain. He says in verse six, blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. Blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. Blessed is anyone who does, whose faith does not stumble just because things didn't turn out the way you hoped. Blessed is anyone whose faith doesn't stumble despite the pains. Because that's what we do, right? We put our faith in Christ who is a revelation of a good God who pours good gifts into people's lives. And so we expect God to pour good gifts into our lives. And then if and when he doesn't, we pull back. We withdraw. Why do we withdraw? Why do we pull back in faith? It's because we want to spare ourselves the pain of further disappointment of God failing to come through and delivering on the good things that we hope he would deliver in our lives. We pull back to spare ourselves the pain of not receiving the thing that we really want. See, all that that reveals in that moment is the fact that what we actually want is the blessing of God as much or more than God himself. That's why someone would say, Jesus didn't work for me, and so I'm gonna go and put my faith somewhere else because Jesus didn't give me what I hoped for. Therefore, Jesus is the expendable piece because I'm not giving up on my dream for this. And Jesus says, no, blessed is the one whose faith does not stumble when things don't turn out the way that you hope. Blessed are those who hang on. Blessed with the heavenly blessing. The truth of the story of John we find out in three chapters is that John actually doesn't survive to be released from prison. 
John's beheaded in prison in Matthew chapter 14. His head hacked off like an ISIS victim and given as a birthday present to the lover of the person who put him in prison. John actually didn't even live long enough for the Messiah to set the prisoners free. But the truth is that on the day John died, the prisoner was set free. John walked into the kingdom as it is in heaven. The book of Revelation, which we read as a community last month, reminds us that there is a reward for those who patiently endure till the end. Well, John experienced the blessing, the happiness, the hope, the fulfillment, the contentment of clinging to faith in Christ until the end. But I don't believe that the blessing is only for the there and then. I believe that the blessing for those who will hang on in faith is for the here and now. For those who won't run from the pain, but who instead lean into the pain. Look for God in the midst of the pain. Discover his presence with them while surrounded by pain and allow him to transform them within the pain. That's where the blessing comes. As we allow God through the circumstances of our lives to transform us into the people that he always intended that we would be. That's where the blessing comes. And I know that's, uh, it's not a very kind thing to say. What doesn't kill you only makes you stronger. Well, I'm strong enough, thanks. And yeah, I don't say this as somebody looking in from the outside. I say this as somebody who over the last 10 years of my life has experienced more pain and grief and loss than I did in the 30 years prior to that. But who in the last 10 years of my life has experienced more blessing and growth and transformation and more intimacy and closeness with Christ than I had in the 30 years prior to that. See, a heavyweight faith isn't the kind of faith that can believe without doubting. A heavyweight faith is the kind of faith that will continue to trust even in the midst of the doubt. That's the faith that Jesus is inviting us into. Let's pray together. Dear Lord, I pray for those in pain this morning. For those who are wondering where you are. I lift up to you their confusion. God, give them clarity. I lift up to you their despair. Give them hope. I lift up to you their weakness. Give them strength. I lift up to you their doubt. Give them faith in Jesus, the Messiah. I lift up to you all the negative thoughts that come from the enemy. That they may see that you are with them in the midst of the pain. Shining like a heavenly beam of light. Splitting the darkness of their circumstances. We pray in the name of Jesus, your son. Amen.